بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له أشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار So today we continue on the section in which Sheikh Ubaid Hafizahullah he gives brief commentary on some of the Athar Salafiyya Sharuhu Ba'dil Athar As-Salafiyya which is commentary upon some of the narrations from the Salaf. And in the first session of this uh, lecture, uh, the Sheikh discussed very, very briefly uh, the issue of how a person goes astray and 
Uh, one of them is by following misguided scholars. And the second way is to deviate from the sunnah and tawheed after having knowledge. So the first is to follow others in ignorance. And the second is to become misguided after knowledge. After knowledge. And so what the Sheikh is alluding to here is the nature of the misguidance of the Christians and the Jews. So the Christians overwhelmingly, they went astray because they followed ignorance and they acted upon ignorance. And the Jews went astray because they, because of arrogance and rejecting the truth after knowing the truth and after the truth becoming uh, clear to them. And the Sheikh then, with this brief introduction, uh, he started with a few narrations. Uh, the first from Ali radiallahu anhu, which spoke about uh, the fact that the religion is not built upon the intellect. Right? The religion is not based upon one's intellect. And he gave the example that if the religion was based on intellect, we would have wiped over the top of our socks or, or the leather socks or the you know, shoes not the not the under uh, not not the sorry we would have wiped the underneath of the uh, socks not over the top if it had been based upon aql upon reason but the religion is not based upon the reason of man it is revelation from the creator of man right it is wahi so the sheikh mentioned that one and also he mentioned the narration of Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu in which he spoke about the Qadariyyah, this group which appeared in the time of the Sahaba and they began to use reason in the matters of creed. Right? So they, be they began to debate and asking the questions, how can Allah punish somebody when he already knows what he's going to do and he's decreed for him to do what he's going to do? So how can he punish and reward when he already has knowledge and when he's already decreed whatever is going to happen? So how then can he punish a man and reward a man? This doesn't seem like it's justice. This is not justice. So therefore, either Allah does not know what is going to happen before it happens. And obviously, he doesn't decree what is going to happen either. So either that. Or he does know what is going to happen, but he doesn't have any role in decreeing what people are going to do. Right? Either of these two, the, the, these two are two levels of the, of the belief of the Qadariyya. Right? So these people appeared. And they took this misconception or this doubt from, from the Christians that they were mixing with, or because the Christians had also fallen into this mistake before. And... So when this speech appeared in Iraq, then some of the people of knowledge, they traveled to uh, see some of the companions. They met Abdullah bin Umar and Abdullah bin Umar gave him knowledge regarding this. He said, you know, say to those people that, you know, uh, that I am free from them and they are free from me. And he mentioned the, the, the rest of the uh, hadith. So that was a second narration that we looked at in the previous lesson. And so the gist of those narrations basically is that there is no uh, role for reason, 
for aql in the foundation of our belief. Reason is used to understand what Allah and his messenger have brought to us. You know, we use reason to comprehend, to understand. But reason isn't the foundation of creed, you know, of what Allah should be described, what he shouldn't be described, right? This, this is not the, not the foundation. So we, we continue then today. Today's lesson starts from this point. And the next narration that the Shaykh brings, and also just to mention the same point that we mentioned in the previous lesson, that these narrations, you will only find the people of the Sunnah mentioning and teaching and explaining the likes of these narrations. Why? Because these, these narrations and what they contain they uh, explain the position of the Sahaba, of, of the Salaf, with respect to differing and splitting. And what are the causes of differing and splitting? And how to, what's the solution to this differing and splitting? Right? And the, these narrations, they, they comprise that knowledge and that understanding, that fiqh, that, that understanding. And only the people of the Sunnah are the ones who teach the people these affairs in order to. Uh, first of all, to show them the right way in religion, and secondly, in order to provide them the true basis of unity, true unity, genuine unity, unity that brings the hearts together, not the fake artificial unity of the Ikhwanis and the Hizbis and other people who just want to gather the bodies together, even though internally the hearts are different. This one believes that thing, this one believes that thing, this one believes that thing. But they just, for the sake of unity, just you know, come together, uh, for the sake of worldly benefits, right? All that's art, all that is artificial fake unity. So the, these athar or these narrations, what they contain, is the understanding of the salaf being implemented, being applied to to situations that arise, right? So this next narration is from the companion Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhuma. The great scholar Ibn Abbas is the scholar of the Qur'an. The scholar of the tafsir of the Qur'an. And he said, uh, he said, Wallahi, ma adhunnu, ma adhunnu ala dhahri al-ardi al-yawm ahadan ahabba ila, ila shaytan halakan minni. He said, by Allah, I do not think that there is anyone on the face of this earth whom shaitan loves more that he should be destroyed than me. Right? So this is Ibn Abbas. He's basically saying that there is no one on this earth that shaitan, Iblis, wants to see destroyed more than me. And then it was said to him, someone said, okay, for Kaif. What do you mean? How? 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 How is this? فقال, so he said, Wallahi, innahu la yuhdithu al-bid'a fi mashriqin aw maghribin fayahmiluha al-rajul iliyya faizantahat iliyya faqama'tuha bis-sunnah faturaddu alihi kama akhrajaha So he said, by Allah, Indeed, uh, a man, he invents or he innovates something, an innovation, either in the East 
or in the West, in the East part of the world or the West part of the world. Then it is brought to me, a man brings it to me. And then when it comes to me, I destroy it with the Sunnah. I destroy it with the Sunnah. And so then it is thrown, you know, rejected back upon him, just like he brought it, brought it out. Uh, so this narration, before we come to the commentary of a uh, brief commentary of Sheikh Ubaid, uh, this indicates to us the thing that Shaytan Iblis, what he loves the most. And in fact, we see some narrations from the Salaf. They said, Al-Bid'atu, Al-Bid'atu, Ahabbu ilayya, Al-Bid'atu, Ahabbu ila Iblis, ila Iblis, Afwan. Al-Bid'atu, Ahabbu ila Iblis, Innovation is more beloved to Iblis min al than disobedience. Because لأن المعصية يتاب منها والبدعة لا يتاب منها. This is because a person can repent from a sin, but innovation cannot be repented from. Why is this? Right? Why does Iblis love bid'ah more than he loves sin? Why? Why? Why does Iblis? want someone to invent something in, into the religion than making a man, for example, to drink alcohol or to steal or to cheat or to fornicate or to whatever of the major sins. Why does Iblis like that more than he likes this? And the reason is because everyone who sins, everyone who is a sinner, when he drinks, he knows that what he's doing is wrong. He knows it's haram. He's not, he knows it's punishable. And no one takes sin as a path to be followed in religion. Right? No one says, oh yes, my, my way in life is going to be you know, alcohol. This, this is my path. No one thinks like this. Everyone knows that drinking alcohol, you know, gambling, stealing, and all the rest of it is, is, is a sin and a person is, is punishable for that. This is different to the issue of innovation, bid'ah, bid'ah in creed, bid'ah in worship. For example, the Mawlid celebrating the Prophet's birthday, or innovation in some aspect of creed, such as to do with qadr, or the attributes of Allah, or what is iman, or about the companions, or things like this. Because now a person, he believes that what he's following is true and correct. Right. He doesn't even know that what he's doing is wrong. He doesn't believe that what he's doing is wrong. So he takes this as a path in religion to be followed. This is why innovation is not repented from. Unlike sin. Because with sin, you know that what you are doing is unlawful and it will be punished. And so you, you repent from it. Whereas when you are involved in innovation, in bid'ah, you think that this is guidance. You think that this is bringing you closer to Allah. And so long as you are upon that innovation, then obviously there's no repentance from it because you believe it is, it is guidance. Right? So this is why Iblis, Al-Bid'atu Ahabbu ila Iblis min al-Ma'siyah. That innovation is more beloved to Iblis than sin. Also we know that as Ibn al-Qayyim, Rahimahullah, you know that he mentioned what are the six traps of Iblis. What are the six levels or the stages that Iblis takes in order to misguide people. 
Right? So the first one is that he obviously tries to lead him to shirk and to kufr, to disbelief, to make him a disbeliever by making him fall into kufr or making him fall into shirk. This is the first thing, right? This is what he wants to do. If he cannot achieve that, so this person now is, is a Muslim and he's not going to leave Islam and he's not going to fall into you know, shirk and kufr and obviously he, he has knowledge of tawheed and what separates iman from kufr and so on and so forth. He's not going to fall into disbelief. What is the first thing that he wants a Muslim to fall into? It is the issue of innovation, bid'ah. He'll make him fall into innovation in the religion. Why? Because here, this is the best type of misguidance because you've led this person to believe that he is upon guidance. Whereas he's upon misguidance and he will never know, even for a, perhaps for, for the rest of his life, that he is upon actual misguidance. Right? So this is the best type of deviation that Iblis wants and that he loves the most. Right? So if he can't get a person to fall into bid'ah, then he will make him, after that, the third level is make him fall into major sins, right? Drinking, gambling, stealing, fornicating, you know, uh, uh, and so on and so forth. Major sins. He will make them fall into that. If he can't make him fall into major sins, he'll make him fall into the fourth level, which is minor sins, right? Minor sins, which he will belittle and not think anything of, right? So, uh, over a lifetime, these sins will build up to be like mountains, because he's belittling the affair of minor sin. And Iblis has obviously trapped him and tricked him into thinking, well, you know, I'm okay, I, I don't commit major sins. And, you know, but, you know, small sins, they, they collect and they gather and they become like mountains. And if you can't get him to fall into major sin or minor sin, then what he will do is to make him occupied in things which are mubah. Mubah, just merely permissible. Right? So... He, he, in other words, to preoccupy him away from the righteous beneficial deeds, he'll make him spend his time in things which are of no benefit in the hereafter. Um, they're just permissible things that he preoccupies himself with. This is number five. And if he can't, if a person is very, very careful, then he'll move on to the sixth level, which is he will make him to leave a more beneficial deed for a lesser beneficial deed, right? So an example would be, you know, like a scholar, for example, could either do some worship, some nafal ibadah, you know, or he could basically go out, admonish people, teach people, for which the benefit is better. The benefit is greater. So Iblis might whisper to him and say, you know, it's raining outside and, you know, do salatul duha in the house, you know, get some reward and so he's left a greater deed for a you know a lesser beneficial deed because that deed is a benefit to him whereas that other deed is, is to benefiting more and more people right so anyhow from this we see that innovation bid'ah is the greatest thing loved by iblis because within it is destruction of the religion it's the easiest way to destroy the religion and that's, it, what, that's what he did with every nation that has come that, 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 in history. He did that with the people of Nuh, al-Islam. He did that with the people of Ibrahim, the people of Musa. All the prophets and messengers, he made them alter the religion, to distort the religion and to take them away from, from their fitrah. 
so, um, so the Sheikh, Sheikh Obeid, Hafizahullah, he says, commenting upon this uh, uh, narration from Ibn Abbas, he said uh, that there is a statement which has appeared, as a maqula, a statement which is, Anna ahl al balad awla wa a'raf. Right, so this is one of those false principles that are used by the people of innovation to prevent them from speaking against innovation and misguidance. So what do they say? And this is something that we found historically people in the West, this is what they say. They say that the people of America know the people of America best. Right? What do they mean by this? What they mean is... Say, for example, there is a person in America who is opposing the Sunnah. He's opposing the way of the Salaf. And in his da'wah, for example, he, you know, he sits with the Rafida, the Shia, who abuse the companions. Or he you know, speaks on the platforms of the Ikhwanis, the Muslim Brotherhood. Right? So, so he's opposing the Sunnah. And then you... You know, take his affair to some of the scholars and you say there's a man who claims to be upon the sunnah and he sits with so-and-so and he sits with so-and-so and his company is with the people of, 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 of Bid'ah and you know, yet he claims to be upon the sunnah. What's your advice regarding this, this person? And the sheikh might say, this person is, is, is a person of desires, is a person of innovation, is a person of misguidance. You should warn the people from him. You should not take any knowledge from him. Right? So in return... Those people will say, why, why are you listening to people who are not even in this country? You know, the people of America know the people of America best. So why are you listening to people who live thousands of miles away? And, you know, they, they don't know our situation here. They don't know the affairs of the people here. How can you listen to them? We know uh, the affair better. This, this is like a misconception. It's a doubt that these people bring. Why? Because... They want to shield and protect themselves from the scholars of the Sunnah and the people of the Sunnah from exposing the fact that they are opposing the guidance of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Right? And so the Sheikh says that, um, you know, this, he, the Sheikh says that whatever is Sunnah and whatever is Bid'ah is the same. In every part of the world, there's no difference. It's very clear. Just like whatever is halal and haram, it's the same whether you are in Saudi or Pakistan or Egypt or Algeria or Morocco or Malaysia. It's all the same. Exactly the same as if you are in America, Poland, Russia, Britain, Canada. It's all the same. There's no difference. So what is sunnah is sunnah. What is bid'ah is bid'ah. What is halal is halal, what is haram is haram, what is hizbiyah is hizbiyah. It, it's all the same, there's no difference. So you being in America, or whatever it might be, it's not going to change the ruling. It's not going to change the ruling. So therefore, for you to now use this statement and this argument, oh, well, you know, people, you shouldn't listen to people from abroad. We know our situation better, right? We know the situation in America better. And in America, for example, you know, it's okay for us to, you know, uh, have uh, alliances with the Shia and have alliances with the, with the LGBTQ, you know, whatever. 
and uh, uh, you know because this is something that that is unique to this land and we need to make these alliances in order to uh, improve the affair of the of the muslims and to this is what they say this is what these people are saying people like yasir qadi people like you know people like that this is the way this is the way that they are upon right and so when the scholars speak about them and when we speak about them, they say, oh, no, you, you don't know the affairs in America. You're not from America. You know, but, but, you know what's right and what's wrong is the same in every part of, 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 of the world, right? The shar of Allah, the hukum of Allah, the legislation of Allah, that is what determines what's right and wrong, what's sunnah and what's bid'ah, what's halal and what's haram, what's guidance, what's misguidance. Right? So this is... This is like uh, a shubha. And notice how in this narration of Ibn Abbas is a refutation of these people very clearly. What did he say? He said, Wallahi innahu la yuhdithul bid'ah fi mashriqin aw maghribin fa yahmiluha ilayya ar-rajul. An innovation is invented by a man in the east or in the west. Ibn Abbas is not over there in, in Khurasan. Nor is he over there in the west, over in Maghrib or Andalus. He is where he is. Right? And an innovation comes from the east or from the west, and a man brings it to me. And so I destroy it with the Sunnah. So it's rejected from that man in the east or in the west. And so this, this, uh, this, this doubt or this misconception that people bring these days, the people of innovation, you know, they, they bring all of these misconceptions and doubts and they want to confuse people about their religion because they want to shield themselves from the, from, from the tongues and the pens of the people of the Sunnah. Why? Because the people of the Sunnah, they do this because they want to purify the religion. They want to make sure that the people, uh, that, that what they hold on to in terms of religion is the pure authentic religion right the authentic belief the authentic creed the authentic methodology because they want to unite all of the muslims upon this basis that which united the companions right this, that's what they want to do and one of the important pillars of bringing the muslims together is to warn against innovations and misguidance and the people of misguidance because they are the very cause of the splitting and the differing in the first place, right? So, this is what the Sheikh says, that whether you are in Yemen, or the Hijaz, or Iraq, or Najd, or Misr, or whatever it might be, if something is an innovation, it's an innovation in all of those places. And if something opposes the methodology of the Prophet and his companions, then it opposes in all of those places. There's no difference, right? And then after that, the Sheikh says, as for, yes, as for social affairs and personal affairs, these are different in every land. So, for example, you know, what we might encounter here in the UK might be different to what a Muslim in France might encounter or a Muslim in Norway or, you know, Canada. Yes, there are, there are social differences, there are differences in terms of laws and things like that. Like that. So, yes, the, the, each situation is, is unique and different. But what decides everything is the, the shara. The shara, the, the law of Allah, the legislation of Allah, that is what is the judge 
in every single uh, instance. And that is what determines what is right and what is wrong. So this is the narration from Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhu. It's a very uh, beneficial uh, narration. And... Um, You know, there are, there are many, 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 many people who, who, who've actually used this excuse. And I mentioned Yasir Qadi is one of them. Shadid Muhammad is another one of them. And these are individuals, they're not just, these are people who've gone to uh, the University of Medina. They've graduated, right? They've acquired knowledge from, 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 from the teachers and the scholars. And they've gone back to the countries. And then they've, you know... Uh, it appears that they only acquired knowledge as a means to an end. So that they could then go, use the status, use the qualification to then go and call people to, to misguidance. And that's what you see from these people. That's what you see from these people now. Right? They are manifestly and clearly upon misguidance. And when the people of the Sunnah expose them and refute them out of sincere advice to the Muslims, then they bring the likes of these shibuhat, bring the likes of these doubts and, and misconceptions. So anyhow, the next narration that the Sheikh brings is a narration from Asim al-Ahwal, from Abu al-Aliyah al-Riyahi. So uh, Abu al-Aliyah is one of the famous tabi'in who took knowledge from many of the companions of Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And so... Asim al-Ahwal is narrating from Abu al-Aliyah. He said that Abu al-Aliyah said, and this is like a type of nasiha. He said, Ta'allamu al-Islam. Ta'allamu al-Islam. He said, learn Islam. Learn Islam. What is Islam? You know, uh, Islam, the five pillars, Iman, the six pillars of Iman, the issues of creed, and Ihsan. Ihsan, which is excellence in religion. So it is Islam, the outward affairs, the five pillars. Iman, which is the affairs of belief. And then to achieve excellence, Ihsan. This is, this is Islam. So learn that Islam. Learn that Islam. So learn uh, the creed. Learn the, 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 the pillars and the obligations and all the rulings pertaining to them. And then adhere to them and achieve excellence in religion. So every Muslim should be striving to learn and, and to pursue this. تَعَلَّمُ الْإِسْلَامِ فَإِذَا عَلِمْتُمُوهُ فَلَا تَرْغَبُوا عَنْهُ And when you have learnt it, then do not, you know, seek to, uh, do, do not seek other than it. Do not go to other than it. وَعَلِيكُمْ بِالسِّرَاطِ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ And upon you is the straight path. Remain and be upon the straight path. al-Islam. For indeed, the straight path is Islam. Islam. Right? In that time, in the time of Abu al-Aliya, which is just before the end of the first century after Hijrah, then the Sirat al-Mustaqim was generally known as, known as Islam. Because even though there was innovation, you know, they hadn't, innovation wasn't really the majority. Uh, people of knowledge were widespread, the companions were still present, and, you know, the straight path was known to be, to be Islam. Then he said, 
وَلَا تُحَرِّفُوهُ يَمِينًا وَشِمَالًا So do not, you know, seek to distort it or deviate from it to the right or to the left. وَعَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّةِ نَبِيِّكُمْ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ Upon you is the sunnah of your Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ashabihi and your and his companions qabla an yaqtulu sahibahum before they killed their companion this is a reference to the killing of Uthman radiyallahu anhu right so so before Uthman there was unity and after Uthman was assassinated by the Sabaiyah and by the you know the, the hypocrites, then there was strife, and then the Muslims you know they began to uh, split. And so Abu Aliya is saying that upon you is to stick to the Sunnah of your Prophet and his companions before they killed their their companion, meaning Uthman, the you know the the, the associate of the rest of the companions. And before they did what they did. I have indeed laqad qara'tul Qur'an qabla an yaqtulu sahibahum I have read the Qur'an before they killed their the, the, the companion meaning uh, Uthman wa qabla an yaf'alu alladhi fa'alu and before they did what they did so meaning I have been reciting the Qur'an meaning learning the Qur'an taking the Qur'an from the from the from the uh, companions and so he said uh for 15 years, وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَهَذِهِ الْأُمُورِ الَّتِي تُلْقِي بَيْنَ النَّاسِ الْعَدَاوَةُ وَالْبَغْضَاءِ Beware of these affairs that put enmity and hatred in the, you know, between the people. Beware of these affairs. So this was the advice of Abu Aliya given to Asim Al-Ahwal who is narrating it. So Asim, he then said, I then came to Al-Hasan and narrated it to him. I conveyed this advice which I heard from Abu Aliya to Al-Hasan who said Sadaqa wa Nasah. He spoke the truth and he gave sincere advice. Then he said I then went to Hafsa Hafsa bint Sirin Hafsa bint Sirin Hafsa the daughter of Sirin. So she said by my father and my family have you narrated this to Muhammad and Muhammad is her brother he is Muhammad ibn Sirin the famous Tabi'i famous Imam scholar Tabi'i Muhammad ibn Sirin he died in the year 110 Hijra so Hafsa said to this uh, to Asim have you narrated this to my brother so he said فَقُلْتُ la. So she said, Qalat hadithhu bihi. Go and narrate it to him. Right? So there's, there's numerous things within this narration. Uh, and so Shaykh Ubaid, Hafizahullah, he says that first of all, what we see from this narration is that the people of knowledge they benefit from each other. Right? The early ones or the later ones benefit from the from the early ones and they, they share knowledge and they convey knowledge to each other the sheikh also says that when we speak of ilm when we say ilm knowledge then when used on its own it can only refer to the sharia knowledge right so when we in everyday language we speak about knowledge 
and the excellence of knowledge and the virtues of knowledge. This here re is referring only to the Sharia knowledge because that is knowledge which is inherently beneficial. Meaning it is beneficial in and of itself. This is the nature of all of the Sharia knowledge. It is the beneficial knowledge. It is Al-Ilmun Nafi'ah. Al this only applies to the Sharia knowledge. But as for, you know, if we want to refer to any other knowledge, then we always mention it in a qualified way. We say, you know, the knowledge of medicine, or the knowledge of maths, or the knowledge of chemistry, or the knowledge of this, or whatever it might be. Right? But when we speak of just knowledge, are you seeking knowledge? Are you acquiring knowledge? Are you, we only mean Sharia knowledge. And so this Sharia knowledge, as the Sheikh says, you see that the people of knowledge from the scholars, you see that they, they disseminate, they acquire, they disseminate, they are eager to disseminate to others and to pass it on, and so on and so forth. The second thing that he says uh, here, uh, the second point, in fact, is that the people of knowledge from the righteous Salaf, they spread knowledge to the best of their ability. This is what they do. So you see here, that Asim, who is the one who took it from Abu Alia, right? Abu Alia died, you know, around the year 90 Hijrah, right? And then so he then took it some point later in his life and he narrated it to Al Hassan. And then he also went to Hafsa. And then she said, Have you narrated to, to Muhammad? Uh, so you see how they are eager for knowledge, beneficial knowledge, for it to be spread. And Al Hassan here is Al Hassan bin Yasar who is the freed slave of Zayd bin Thabit radiallahu anhu. And so when Al-Hasan heard it, he said, Sadaqa wa nasaha. He spoke truthfully and he gave sincere advice. And this is, you know, in order for him to emphasize that this knowledge is beneficial and for it to be spread. The third point that the Sheikh mentions from this is that from this narration we see that there's no problem or no prohibition from speaking to a righteous woman and however this is with the condition that Allah has specified in the Quran where he said وَإِذَا سَأَلْتُمُوهُنَّ مَتَاعًا فَاسْأَلُوهُنَّ مِنْ وَرَاءِ حِجَابٍ that when you ask them meaning the wives of the Prophet for anything then ask them from behind a veil and so the Shaykh says that every woman who comes after the wives of the Prophet then this is a good example for them to follow, right? That, you know, when it comes to uh, foreign men or whatever where there is a need, then it should be done from behind a, a hijab. And, uh, you know, those who do not follow this way, then they are following kind of crooked, you know, other, other, other paths. So any case, Asim al-Ahwal, he narrated this knowledge from Abu Alia to Hafsa, Hafsa bin Sirin. She then said, have you narrated it to Muhammad, who is her brother Muhammad bin Sirin. The Shaykh continues and says that to speak to a righteous woman, you know, it's, it's necessary to be done from behind a veil. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, in fact, the Shaykh says that this is not absolute. Uh, it, is, it is tied and restricted 
you know, when, when they speak to the wives of the uh, Prophet وسلم, the mothers of the believers, uh, but for every woman who comes after them, within this is a good example for them to follow, right? And so the Shaykh mentions again, uh, with respect to the mothers of the believers, uh, that Allah said about them, فَلَا تَخْذَعَنَّ بِالْقَوْلِ فَيَطْمَعَ الَّذِي فِي قَلْبِهِ مَرَضٍ Do not use soft, gentle speech so that the one in whose heart you know, is a disease might be affected. Right? So this is advice to the mothers of the believers. So the Shaykh says, there's nothing to prevent a righteous man from addressing and speaking to a righteous woman uh, for knowledge that he takes from her and vice versa for knowledge that she might take from him however it shouldn't be with you know with with a certain type of speech um, you know and this applies even for example when you are trading because again you in trade, trade is allowed, women are allowed to trade, and so it could be the case that a man buys from a woman, or a woman buys from a man, then likewise, this, this, all of these guidelines apply in these situations as well. The Sheikh says, unfortunately, we see that today, we see that the employees, the male and female employees, we see that they do not have this fear of Allah, you know, except as Allah wills, that you see them, uh, joking with each other and being cordial with each other and you know um, sometimes they might even uh, sit next to each other and shake hands with each other and so on and so forth in, in the same way that a wife might do with, with a husband or with anyone else from her family who is mahram and uh, they do this alongside wearing the hijab so you're wearing the hijab but your actions and behavior is like you know it's it's a contradiction like this is supposed to be modesty and chastity and yet you are you know joking and uh, flattering and flirting and shaking hands and this you know this type of thing the sheikh is alluding this takes place and this is not the way of, of the righteous men and the righteous uh, woman and um, you know the sheikh says unfortunately the woman who does this type of stuff who does this type of behavior this woman uh, this is like a woman who's basically mimicking the qualities of a man. This is not what a woman does. A woman has the qualities of, of shyness, of humility, of being modest and you know keeping away from this type of unbefitting behavior. Right? This is not from the way from, from you know from the way of a woman. A woman who behaves like this, like very bold and open and you know joking and laughing and around men and this and whatever and without any uh, haya without any modesty this the shaykh says this is a mutarajila mutarajila meaning a woman who adopts the behaviors and resembles and mimics a man this is not for a woman to to to, to, to do this because this leads to corruption and 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 facade and and confusion you know uh, this is what you see this is what you see in these in these Western societies where, you know, like even, you know, like the traditional values still used to exist in these countries even till the 60s, 70s, you know, like the family values and the women uh, stick with women and the men stick with, you know, uh, men and like the family kind of uh, values, they used to be present. And now in literally no more than two or three decades, they've been completely corrupted and you see the mass confusion you know, within, within, within these societies that they are now teaching uh, to, to children. 
So this is not from the ways and qualities of, of the woman. The woman has uh, specific uh, qualities that she should excel in, uh, certain behaviors, certain traits, and the men you know, have certain qualities that are qualities of men, right? And the more they develop and excel them, then the better the bonding you know, between a husband and wife and between, you know, uh, within families, it creates a stronger, stable, you know, society for men to be masculine, women to be feminine, and all the traits and qualities which are, which are attached to either of these two things. So that, that was the third uh, benefit that the Sheikh mentioned uh, from this particular narration, right? So whether it comes to taking knowledge, it's nothing wrong with taking knowledge from a woman, vice versa, a woman from a man. Uh, as long as it is with, you know, the, 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 the right uh, behavior and the right, you know, guidance from the Sharia. The next narration that the Sheikh brings is from Muhammad bin al-Hussein al-Ajurri, rahimahullah ta'ala, al-Imam al-Ajurri, the famous al-Imam al-Ajurri, who is the author of the book al-Shari'ah, al-Shari'ah. Uh, which is a book that is an ex one of the excellent works on the issue of creed, on aqidah. So the Sheikh quotes from Al-Ajurri, rahimahullah ta'ala, and he said, Alamatu man aradallahu bihi khayra. The sign of the one for whom Allah has intended goodness. The sign that Allah has intended for someone goodness. What is it? He said, Suluku tariq." It is to traverse this path. Which path is he speaking about? It is the path of the Salaf. Salafiya, the way of the Salaf. Kitabullah wa sunanu Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa sunanu ashabihi radiyallahu anhum wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsan. It is the book of Allah and the sunan of the messenger of Allah وسلم, and the sunan of his companions عنهم, and whoever followed them upon goodness وما كان عليه أئمة المسلمين في كل بلد إلى آخر ما كان من العلماء and likewise to follow what the leading scholars of the Muslims in every region, in every country, in every city to the end of, you know, the, 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 the period of uh, the scholars, the likes of Mithl al-Awza'i, wa Sufyan al-Thawri, wa Malik bin Anas, wa Shafi'i, wa Ahmed bin Hanbal, wa Al-Qasim bin Salam. And then he mentioned some names, famous names that we know. From them he mentioned uh, al-Awza'i, uh, Sufyan al-Thawri, Imam Malik, Bin Anas, Imam al-Shafi'i, Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal, and likewise Abu Ubaid, Al-Qasim bin Salam, from the students of Imam Ahmed, from the, from the era of Imam Ahmed, and uh, whoever was upon, وَمَنْ كَانَ عَلَى مِثْلِ طَرِيقَتِهِمْ Whoever is upon the likes of their way, and to oppose وَمُجَانَبَةُ كُلِّ مَذْهَبٍ يَذُمُّهُ هَؤُلَاءِ الْعُلَمَاءِ and to abandon and avoid every madhab, every way, every doctrine that those scholars criticized. Criticized, right? 
So all of this mentioned by Al-Jurri, rahimahullah, if you are upon this, if you follow this, then this is the sign that Allah is intending goodness to you. What is the sign? Meaning, in short, that you are upon the way of the Salaf. If you are following the Salafi way, the way of the Salaf, that you know the creed that they were upon, in the issue of Allah's names and attributes, in the issue of Al-Iman, in the issue of Al-Qadr, in the issue, in all the various other issues, and you are not from the Jahmiyyah or the Mu'tazila or the Ash'ariyyah or the Maturidiyyah and all the other firaq, the groups and the sects, you know that you're not upon that, and you know what the Salaf believed and you're upon that, and you're upon their methodology, right? This is a sign that Allah has actually shown goodness, to, has intended goodness towards you. He has been benevolent to you, that He has guided you to the likes of this. And this is why you see from the uh, some of the Salaf, like Abu Aliya, uh, they used to say, I do not know which of the two favors is greater. I don't know which of the two favors is greater. That Allah guided me to Islam, that Allah guided me to Islam, or that he guided me to the sunnah, or that he did not make me to be from the people of innovation. So I don't know which of these two is the greater, is the greater, you know, um, is the greater favor, right? And if you think about it clearly, like if you, if you are saved from kufr and shirk and you enter into Islam, that means that you will not enter hellfire forever, but you are not necessarily saved from hellfire. Right? So that's a ni'mah. But if Allah saved you from the misguided sects and guided you to the way of the salaf, then that means that you have not been threatened with the hellfire for being upon the misguided ways. Which means that you might be saved from entering hellfire altogether. <coughs> so which of the two is the better favor? Which is the two the better favor? That you are saved from remaining in hellfire forever by virtue of Islam or that you are saved from entering hellfire full stop. It's obviously it's the latter is, is clearly the, the, the better favor but obviously then you know you, you weigh between the two and that's why uh, this is narrated from a number of, of the Salaf, from them Abu Aliya, and uh, even I believe it may even have been Ibn Umar himself, one of the companions. A similar statement is narrated from them that I do not know which of the two favors uh, of Allah upon me is greater, right? That He saved me from a disbelief, or that He did not make me to be from the Haruriyah, for example, from the Khawarij, or that He did not make me to be from the you know, the misguided uh, sects. So, this is the statement of Al-Jurri, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, and the Shaykh, Shaykh Ubaid, Hafizahullah Ta'ala, he says, um, he comments upon it, and he says, first of all, Muhammad bin Hussein here, is Al-Jurri, and he is the author of the book, Al-Shari'a, a famous book, it is called Al-Shari'a, right, and it's all about creed. Because this is the way that the Salaf used to use these words. A Sunnah. 
meaning creed, belief. Ash-shari'a, meaning creed, uh, belief, right? Um, so, the Sheikh says that from this statement of Al-Ajurri, what we understand is that every single person who is sincere and who is, you know, comes out for knowledge and fatwa, that he must be upon the path of the righteous Salaf and he must not remain independent of that. Right? He mustn't separate himself from that and be independent from the way the madhab of the Salaf. The Sheikh says what the majority of the people are upon today, unfortunately, it opposes this way. And this is because they mix with the people of innovation, the people of misguidance, and they mix with them, they uh, you know, sit and eat with them, sit and drink with them, they invite them to the homes, and so on and so forth. Meaning that there's no distinction among the people at large. The only people who think about these things and who think about the sunnah and who think about true unity and who think about true rectification are the people of the sunnah. They are careful from whom they take knowledge. They are careful with whom they sit with because <coughs> the misguidance has multiplied, the misguidance has increased. And as for all the other people, they don't care about this. You'll see, you know, all of these uh, groups and sects upon these misguided ways, they will not have this notion of, you know, um, seeking out the way of the Salaf and seeking out the people of the Sunnah and showing loyalty to them and keeping away from misguidance. No one really does this except the people of the Sunnah. All the other people, you will see them, at Tablighi mixing with an Ikhwani and Ash'ari mixing with this one and that one. You know, they, they generally, they're upon this way. They don't have this Tamyiz, they don't have this Wala wal bara upon the actual uh, sunnah, even though they might have differences between themselves, you will find that very quickly and very easily they will ally with each other against the people of the sunnah. They'll forget their own differences very, very quickly, right? So, uh, and, and, and historically, this, this has always happened, even uh, in the time of Imam Ahmed, when uh, in the time of the trial of Imam Ahmed, when he was brought to the rulers, uh, in front of the, the rulers of the time, and it was made to debate and argue, you found that the people who came, who came to debate against Imam Ahmad, they were from the Murjia, they were from the Mu'tazila, from the Jahmir, all different, you know, uh, people, they had differences <coughs> with each other, but they came together in order to show opposition to Imam Ahmad. And this is from the way of the people of Bid'ah in every age and era, even today you see you know, you will see on the one hand, there are the people who uh, follow the path of lenience, softness. They basically try to water down the Salafi methodology, like the Mumayya, right? Like Al-Ma'rabi and Al-Halabi and Al-Ramadani and those types of people, right? Uh, and they, they, they open doors and avenues for the people of innovation to accommodate them and befriend them and make excuses for them and, and shield them from criticism. Right? So, so these guys came and appeared. And then on the other hand, you have the extremists, the Haddadiyah, who are very stern and, and strict and severe and harsh. And you know, they write people off without any evidence or without any proof or whatever. And you know, they're very harsh and very extreme, like, like the followers of, of Mahmoud al-Haddad. And 
you know, people who followed in, the, in that same path up until we come to the era of Al-Hajuri, Al-Hajuri, right? These are supposed to be opposite extremes. The, these are Mumiyya and these are Haddadiyya over here. Yet, when it comes to attacking Salafis and, and you know, waging war against them, they will now partner with these people. Ajeeb, strange. Aren't you people over here opposed to harshness? And aren't you people over here supposed to be opposed to, to gentleness and softness? How does it even make sense? But you see this all the time, the people of Bid'ah, they will ally with each other in order to fight against the people of, 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 of the Sunnah, the people of the truth. So most people are like this, the Sheikh says. Most people you'll see, they, they, they're upon this path of, you know, they're not upon the way of the Salaf and they'll, um, you know, take this path. And the Sheikh says, likewise, when it comes to knowledge, sound knowledge, sound knowledge lies in what is known, not in like what is obscure and, you know, it, it's odd and, you know, isolated views and opinions. Rather, you stick to what is based upon the Quran and the Sunnah and the understanding of the Salaf and you do not try to be independent and break away from that which the Salaf were upon. We'll finish with the fourth statement for today and this is from Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani rahimahullah ta'ala and he is from the great scholars from the Tabi'een from the early second century after Hijrah, Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani and he said qala li Abu so Abu Qulaba said to me, he said, Ya Ayyub, ihfaz anni arba'an. O Ayyub, preserve or, or memorize from me four things, four pieces of advice. Ihfaz anni arba'an. La taqul fil Qur'ani bira'yik. Do not speak about the Qur'an based upon your opinion. Do not speak about the Qur'an based upon opinion. Right? And this is advice to all of us. Don't, either you know that this is a meaning or an explanation of this verse, or you don't. Simple as that. Either you know this thing that you are saying, this interpretation, this explanation, this qawl or this tafsir or this whatever, either you know, Ibn Abbas said it, Ibn Mas'ud said it, right? So-and-so said it, so-and-so said it, or some of the salaf said it, either you know that, or a scholar imam from the, from the imams, either you know that, and if you don't, don't just speak from, from your ra'i, from your opinion, because this is the starting point of misguidance. Right? This is how the people of Bid'ah, they went astray, the first of them, you know, they, they speak on the basis of opinion, in matters of religion. So, لَا تَقُلْ فِي الْقُرْآنِ بِرَأْيِكِ وَإِيَّاكَ وَالْقَدَرِ وَإِيَّاكَ وَالْقَدَرِ Beware of the issue of Al-Qadr. Do not speak about Al-Qadr. Al-Qadr is, is an issue of belief in which people's feet can very easily slip. Al-Qadr the decree of Allah and Allah creating this creation, the causes and the effects and the ways and the means and how what he decrees to happen happens right with his prior knowledge 
and and all the affairs this is a, some this is something where you will be able to understand it up to a certain point up to a certain level and that level has been made clear in the Quran and the Sunnah beyond that point if you start going beyond that point and start delving into and asking all of these types of kind of questions this now is the starting point of misguidance it's the starting point of misguidance you will become confused and that's exactly what happened to nations who delved in this issue before from the Christians they started debating and delving to this into this issue right and and the Muslims followed them as well and so they, so they went astray right so we have the Qadariya on the one hand we have the Jabariya on the other hand speaking without knowledge you know the Qadariya saying that in Allah's creation things happen that Allah himself has no control or power over which means the men and when they choose their actions Allah doesn't will them Allah doesn't create them Allah has no power or control over them right and on the other side they are saying you know there is no one who acts except Allah and every man is really kind of compelled and forced to do what he does it's not man who's acting rather it's Allah who's acting but through the through the instrument of that man's body right it's Allah the one who's doing the actions and the man is just getting a credit you know basically right misguidance uh, on, on other side so so understand the basics of Al-Qadr there are four levels of Al-Qadr and how the scholars have explained and beyond that keep silent the third thing وَإِذَا ذُكِرَ أَصْحَابِ مُحَمَّدٍ صلى الله عليه وسلم فأمسك and when the companions of Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم are mentioned then withhold meaning be silent don't, don't say anything right? don't start delving into historical issues of trial and tribulation which took place because the companions all of them by testimony of the Quran they are all trustworthy they are all guaranteed paradise they are all forgiven and uh, their integrity has been established and so therefore we know by testimony of the Quran that whatever the companions fell into of either errors that they may have fallen into or disputes they had between themselves we know that that was on the basis of ijtihad and they believed that that is what, that what they were doing was correct and that's what Allah wanted from them in that particular situation right and they're all rewarded and forgiven they're promised paradise and so it's not possible for any person to have any ill will malice or anything in his heart towards the the companions right and and from that is to remain silent about the companions and whatever happened and not to speak you know uh, uh, in in their affairs we only speak of them with good we only mention their good qualities we we mention their excellences right and we defend them and we remove the people uh, misconceptions of people who speak ill against them and we make dua for them and Allah forgive them and have mercy upon them and that we he gives us tawfiq in following following their way so this uh, the sheer comments upon this oh sorry uh, the, the last one 
and the most important, uh, one of the most important ones. Uh, he said, the fourth one, وَلَا تُمَكِّنْ أَصْحَابَ الْأَحْوَاءِ مِنْ سَمْعِكَ فَيَنْبِذُوا فِيهِ مَا شَاءُوا Do not allow the people of desires to have access to your hearing. Do not give the people of desires, meaning the people of misguidance, an ear, such that they throw into it whatever they wish. So, this once again is speaking about not subjecting yourself to the misconceptions, to the doubts, to the innovations, to the heresies, misguidance of the people who have become misguided. Right? Why would you want to subject yourself, you know, like an empty vessel and allowing people to throw their rubbish? Why, Why are you making yourself to be like a waste basket, you know, bin? Where this one comes in and he throws a banana peel and this one comes in and he throws a, a used tissue and this one comes in and he throws this in. Why are you making yourself, by opening your ears to the people of Bid'ah and Dalala, to be like this waste bin? Why are you being like that? Why, why do that? Right? So, uh, you know, Do not allow the people of innovation and misguidance access to your ears. Because they will throw in, such that they throw in whatever they wish. So, the Shaykh says, Abu Qulaba, he is Abdullah bin Zayd al-Jurmi, Jurami rahimahullah ta'ala, he's a tabi'i, and Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani is his student. And uh, we see that uh, this uh, student is narrating from his Shaykh these four pieces of advice. And the Sheikh says that the, 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 the point of evidence for us here is the fourth one. Do not allow the people of desires to have access to your hearing, such that they throw therein whatever they wish. The Sheikh says, we know, the Sheikh says that no one mixed anyone, no, no one mixed with the people of desires and did so for a lengthy time, except that he was put to trial put to trial in his religion. Either he, was, either he was put to trial completely, completely such that he could no longer tell what's right from what's wrong. Right? And so, you know, he fell into it wholeheartedly and completely and he began to, you know, uh, defend the people of misguidance and used to hate the others. Right? So either he fell into tr the trial completely and then he might say, okay, or he might partly, he might say, look, just take, take knowledge from them uh, and, and then leave them, right? Meaning that you become affected by certain people, like you start listening to them, people of misguidance, and then you see aspects of, of truth that are with them, which then blinds you to the misguidance, and then you become put to trial. What you start saying is, oh, look, I, I only saw good from, from him. Um, okay. You know, just take the good from him and just ignore everything else that is with him. So, so now you become a caller to that person. Then, then other people will start to listen to his misguidance and be affected as well. It's a way that you get put to trial through this. In fact, let me give you one quick uh, example from history, and we finish with this, inshallah ta'ala, to show how dangerous it is, how this thing is very dangerous. And this is... This is slightly different. This is 
This is advice not to allow the people of desires access to your ears. Right? There are many narrations from, from the Salaf. They used to say the heart is weak. You know, keep, keep your ears closed from the people of desires. The heart can be, can be poisoned. Right? But there's a, there's a story of, you might know of a scholar by the name of Abu Bakr al-Baqilani. Al-Baqilani. Right? He is a, he's an Ash'ari from the 4th and 5th century. And he used to be in Baghdad where there used to be the Hanbalis, people of the Sunnah, they were strong. And what he used to do, Baqilani, what he used to do was, you know, he, he would ascribe himself to Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal. Right? As a means of shielding himself because, you know, he was upon the Ash'ari creed and, you know, the issue of the Quran and the Sifat and things like that. So, but Al-Baqilani, you know, he used to refute the Christians and he has works on the Christians. And we know that the Muslim scholars, irrespective of, you know, what creed they came from, they have many, many good works on the refutation of the Christians, refutation of the Jews, refutation of, uh, you know, the, the, the Batiniya, like these, these deviant, uh, you know, uh, heretics who entered into Islam. They have lots of, lots of good works. So what happened once, there's a, uh, a man, uh, I forgot his name now, I think it's Abu, uh, might have been Abu Dhar, not Abu Dhar, uh, something Al-Harawi. But he was walking with, uh, I believe, Ad-Darqutni. And then they saw, or it could be someone else, and they saw Al-Baqilani, and so the, the scholar, he kissed his forehead, he kissed him, and he said, Hada Imamul Muslimin. He said, This one is an Imam for the Muslims. Right? So this, this, this other scholar who observed this then decided, and this, this man was from the North African region, right? He was from the, the Maghrib and that area, and he'd come. So then, just on that word and that action, he decided to take knowledge from him, from Al-Baqilani. And as a result of that, he acquired the Ash'ari creed from Al-Baqilani, and he was the one responsible for then taking it to the whole of North Africa. Right? Just on account of the praise of a scholar, a scholar of, of the Hadith and Sunnah, that he made not knowing the effect this is going to have. Right? And this led to the spread of the Ash'ari Madhab across the whole of the North African region. Right? By the praise of an Ash'ari scholar. Right? Because they got, you know, they saw many of his good things and they, did, they couldn't see. And, you know, this, this is an innocent remark and innocent praise. Right? So... This is not a light affair. Uh, when you see the Salaf speaking with these tremendous pieces of advice, th th this is true wisdom. Do not take it lightly. Right? Because within it there is, there is guidance, there is rectification, there is protection, there is safety. And, you know, um, 
the, the Sahaba and the, the, the Salaf, they experienced these things and they saw you know, a person of, of Sunnah becoming a person of Bid'ah and Dalala. You know, and, and it's because started listening to the, to the people of, of, of desires. Because there's no person of misguidance except that he has something of good in him. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been deceived by him. Do you understand? You know, uh, even, you know, Amr bin Ubaid al-Mu'tazili, Amr bin Ubaid al-Mu'tazili, he is the head of the Mu'tazila in the second century after Hijrah. Right? And he was known to be very, very pious. He wouldn't take any wealth or money uh, or any support from the rulers or anything like this. Right? And he was very, very... And many, many people got misguided by way of that. They got, they got deceived by the piety, and through that they got led to the innovation and misguidance of the Mu'tazila. And that's why some of the Salaf, they used to advise their sons, they used to say, Oh my son, oh my son, that I see you coming out, the, out of the house of a woman, like a, like a prostitute or a woman, or from a place of, you know, where people drink. That is more beloved to me than that I see you coming out of the house of Amr bin Ubaid. Right? Some of the self used to say this. Because why? Going back to the very first narration, what was the very first narration that we said from Ibn Abbas, right? That Iblis, he loves bid'ah more than anything else. He's not cared. He doesn't care about, you know, uh, if he can get one person, person of influence into a bid'ah, that is better than a thousand drunkards, a thousand fornicators, a thousand gamblers. Right? Because their harm is to themselves. And they're not really bringing any harm to the religion. Because everybody knows that you know, gambling is not a path in religion. Right? Stealing is not a path in religion. Everybody knows this. But if someone comes with, with a creed or a methodology... Something of bid'ah. And he becomes a caller to this. He's now split the religion. Now he knows the Muslims are going to split and have enmity against each other on the basis of this innovation. So now they split like this. Excellent, brilliant, let's do it again. And now we have the Jahmiya and the Mu'tazila and the Ash'ariya and the Maturidiya. Right? This is what Iblis, this is the greatest thing that Iblis wants in order to make tahrif of the religion, to distort the religion. And once he's done that, he can just sit back and relax and, you know, easy. Right? So, all of these narrations are tremendous narrations from, from, from the Salaf. And there's actually more. We'll continue with this, inshallah ta'ala, in the, in the next uh, lesson. So, this is clearly outlines the way of the people of the Sunnah. Uh, they, they, they clarify these affairs. And this is in order to uh, unite the Muslims and show them the reality of of their religion and with that we'll conclude walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa sallallahu ala nabina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in the creed of the Ash'aris. Yes. The Ash'aris are a group from the people of Kalam, Ilmul Kalam. 
And ilmul kalam is to use philosophy and reason uh, to be a foundation in creed. In creed. In, in speaking about Allah, His names, and His attributes. So what the Ash'aris do is that they, um, they affirm some of the attributes and they deny other attributes. Right? So they affirm, they, they say that we affirm those attributes that reason can prove. So they affirm seven attributes, you know, Allah's knowledge, Allah's hearing, Allah's seeing, Allah's irada, um, Allah's life, uh, Allah's speech. Right? So basically they, 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 they establish Allah's qudra, Allah's power. Right? There are seven attributes they, they believe in. And the reason why they believe them is because they say reason can prove those seven attributes. So we believe in those seven because reason can prove them. Right? So their foundation is reason. But we said before that reason isn't the basis upon which knowledge of Allah is obligatory. No. It's, it's actually the Sharia. It's revelation. Allah made knowledge of Him obligatory through revelation, not through reason. Right? Because if, if it was obligatory to know Allah by way of reason, then why did Allah send the books and messengers then? There's no need to send books and messengers. Because if, if I'm sinful for not knowing Allah by my intellect, then why send the prophets and messengers then? They're not necessary. Right? So, so knowledge of Allah in detail as to what he can be described with, what he can't be described with, then that is by way of revelation. Right? We make the revelation to be the foundation. So we have a simple principle. Whatever Allah described himself with, whatever the messenger described him with, then we affirm it. Right? Whereas what the Ash'aris and the people of Kalam in general, what they say is, whatever the intellect affirms for Allah and establishes for Allah, then we affirm that. And whatever the intellect deems improbable, you know, impossible for Allah or rejected for Allah, then we deny that for Allah. Right? And so, for example, they will say, so we say in the Quran, Allah said in the Quran, Ar-Rahmanu, Ar-Rahman ascended above the throne. He is Al-Qahir above his servants. The angels ascend unto, unto him. Right? All these other verses that establish that Allah is above his creation. Clear and explicit in the Quran. Ain Allah Allah is above the heaven. Right? They will say on the basis of reason, they will say. Hold on, if you say Allah is above the throne, then above the throne is a place. And a place is something that occupies space. And something that occupies space must fill that space. And whatever fills the space must be a body. And whatever's a body must be made of parts. And okay, so where have you got this from? This is this is the language of Aristotle. This is the language of Greek philosophers. Where, where has this come from? Where, where has this come from? So they say Allah cannot be above his throne because if you say Allah is in a, in a direction, direction means a place. And the place, makan, means 
you know, tahiyus, meaning occupying space. And occupying space means, you know, a body. And body means anything that's composed of parts. Where'd you get all this from? This, this is what the Greek philosophers spoke about when they tried to understand the creation. Why are you speaking about Allah in terms of, you know, the creation? And opposing the Qur'an with, with your reason. See, that's the difference, right? So we say whatever Allah said in the Qur'an and described himself with, we affirm it. Because Allah knows best himself. And whatever the messenger described himself with, we, we affirm for Allah. So Allah, you know, his names are Rahman, Rahim, Al Malik, Al Qudus, Al Salam, all the other names Al Alim, Al Samir, Al Basir, we affirm them. Allah's attributes of, you know, knowledge, wisdom, mercy, right? Wis you know, and all the other uh, attributes, more than just the seven accepted by the Ash'aris. We, we accept all the other attributes, everything that Allah mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah. We accept all. Why? Because we have a clear, uniform, consistent principle, which is, and no one can attack this principle. I describe whatever Allah described himself with, and whatever the messenger described him with, without rejecting it, without distorting it, and without likening it to the creation. No one from the people of Bid'ah is ever going to be able to oppose this principle. No one's going to be able to touch this principle. Right? This is what we say. Whereas what they say is, we affirm for Allah what the intellect says can be affirmed for Allah. And we deny for Allah what the intellect necessitates that we deny for Allah. That's what they say, right? The, the people of Kalam. But the strange thing is, and this is a proof that they're upon falsehood. If, if, if what you're saying is true, then how come all of you as groups, the Jahmiya, the Mu'tazila, the Ash'ariya, the Maturidiya, the Kullabiya, how come you are all fighting with each other on the names and attributes that you say should be affirmed and should be rejected? How come you're all arguing with each other? If you are saying that the intellect is decisive proof. How come the Jahmi's intellect is saying we have to deny all the names, all the attributes, but the Mu'tazili is saying, well, we affirm the attributes, and the Ash'ari is saying, well, we affirm seven attributes, but deny the... How can you all be correct? How, how can you all be correct if you're saying, whose intellect then decides what Allah can be and cannot be described? Whose intellect? Is it that of Jahan bin Safwan? Is it that of Al-Ash'ari? Is it that of Maturidi? Is it that of uh, Ibn Kullab or Amr bin Abba? Who, whose intellect are we talking about now? Right, that decides what Allah can and cannot be described with. This is a proof that you are upon falsehood and your principle is false. And you have to abandon this way and follow the correct sound principle, which is that we describe Allah with that which he described himself and what the messenger described him with without tahrif, you know, without ta'atil, uh, without tamthil, without takyif. This is the saying of the people of the Sunnah. So the Ash'aris are just one faction from the factions of Ilmul Kalam. Right? And Ilmul Kalam as a group, they are people who basically put reason above revelation. They put Aql over the, 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 the Naql, the, the revelation. And they made it a foundation in belief. And uh, in reality, all they did is take the philosophy of the Greeks, the language of the Greeks, and they try to, um, uh, you know, they try to acquire their creed by way of this philosophy, and they fell into misguidance, great misguidance. So they are just one group of numerous groups which are in like a family.
It's a family, Ilmul Kalam family, Jahmiya, Mu'tazila, Ibn Kullab, Karramiya, Ash'ariya, Maturudiya. There's like six, seven groups of them. And it's all they really are is like they are just like, um, you know, it's like, a, it's like a, you are importing a, a version of philosophy, foreign philosophy into Islam and trying to pretend it is, it is like a tool for acquiring creed when, it's, when, it's, when clearly it's not. It's not. Uh, you know, it's, it's a bit like, you know, like, like the tool of kalam that they are using. It would be a bit like, well, I'm trying to think of an example, you know, uh, you know, like if you, if you have any tool to, to, do, to do a job, you know, like you have a spade to, to dig the ground or you have something and then someone gives you, you know, like a paper version or something else and, you know, it's, it's not going to... You don't acquire a tool by way of philosophy. Now, where's philosophy and where's Allah's wahi? You know, so yeah, and the Ash'aris are, are a huge part of the Muslim population today. Most of North Africa, Malaysia, the Far East, you know, Shafi'is, uh, all of like, you know, the Far East, uh, uh, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, you know, all all the way to Turkey, that's all Hanafi region, Maturidi, Hanafi. Um, you know, most, uh, they're upon the street, either Ash'aris or Maturidis. And how did that spread, you know? Because one man was described, you know, largely in, in one area uh, because of praise of a, of a person of innovation, historically speaking. Obviously, that's from Allah's decree. Allah decreed that to happen, to put people to trial. But it just shows the great danger of, uh, you know, uh, not taking heed of the advice of the Salaf and what they said. Because Sheikh Rabbi has not praised a specific Right, so let me understand that. The, the doubt is some people say don't take from such and such scholar because Sheikh Rabbi has not praised him. No, you don't take from certain take from a certain person because Sheikh Rabbi has not praised this Don't take from a certain person. Yeah. Alright, they say to us that you're not taken from so and so because Sheikh Rabi hasn't yes. hasn't praised him. So okay, do they have they got have they got any specific person in mind when they say that or it's just like you know, No. Well we don't we, we we take knowledge from whoever we know to be upon upon the Sunnah. That's the asal, that's the basis, you know, from all of the narrations of the Salaf, you know, uh they mention the names of the scholars, historically speaking, you know, Imam Ahmed, Al-Awza'i, Al-Thawri. And so in every age and era, it's possible to know who is upon the way of the Salaf because of what they say and what they write and what they do. And we have that furqan, we have that criterion, the way of the Salaf. 
So who we follow, we follow or we take knowledge from he whom we know to be upon the sunnah. And this is how it's always been ever from the, from, from the time of the fitna of Uthman radiallahu anhu. Because before the fitna of Uthman radiallahu anhu, then everyone was taken at face value. We take the narration because uh, trustworthiness was present and people didn't have, um, there wasn't, people didn't have, um, you know, like a side to take in anything. That wasn't present, right? So, so no one had like an ulterior motive in, in narrating something or not narrating something or twisting or lying. There wasn't anything like that. But after the fitna of Uthman, uh, then the, this is when the people began to ask about, you know, like, like the chain of narration and everything. Well, who did you take this from and name as your men and whatever, right? So this is because the circumstances demand that we are now careful with respect to whom we take our knowledge from right and this itself is something that the messenger of Allah himself notified his ummah of that there's going to he mentioned the khawarij that they will recite the Quran it will not go beyond their throats he mentioned the qadariyah do not visit them when they fall sick and do not pray of them when they, when, when they die he mentioned people who, at the end of time, they will bring a hadith that you've never heard of. Neither you nor your, your forefathers. So, so beware of them, right? All of these warnings are present uh, in, in the prophetic texts. Um, you know, no prophet was sent before me except that he had Hawariyun and Ansar. And after them, there will come a people who will, you know, they will... Um, uh, they, they will give testimony when they're not asked to do so and they will, you know, there's certain traits that, that are mentioned, right? So whoever makes jihad against them with, 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 with the hand is a believer, with the tongue is a believer and then, you know, there's a hadith like this, right? We are just simply acting upon, upon these hadiths. That's all that we're doing. We are following the guidance of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, because Allah gave him knowledge as to what is going to befall this ummah in the same way that it befell the Jews and befell the Christians and other nations, right? And so the messenger is, is uh, from that knowledge that Allah gave him, he is giving a, a forewarning to his ummah that when this happens, and it will happen, this is how you need to behave and what you need to do, right? So what we are doing here by not taking knowledge except from the one whom we know to be upon the sunnah, through his speech, through his writing, through his behavior, through his allegiances, right? Through his friendship, through the positions that he holds, right? We are doing nothing but what the Messenger of Allah told us to do, right? So we are not, we are not following, you know, we, we haven't made Sheikh Rabi to be the criteria. We made the Quran and the Sunnah and Ijma' and, and the way of the Salaf to be the criterion. But if there comes a scholar, and many scholars have come in, in, in the past, like Imam Ahmed, you know, Allah made him uh, a mihna or a trial because he stood up for the truth, right? Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymi rahimahullah stood up for the truth. Shaykh al-Islam Muhammad ibn al-Wahhab stood up for the truth. There are scholars that Allah erects and establishes and they, they speak the truth. You know, we follow them because they speak the truth, not because of, of, of their personality or the person. We follow because uh, they brought the evidence in the issues in which they spoke about, right? 
So yes, against the people of Hizbiya, uh, the Ikhwanis, and all the people who claim to be Salafi, and they wear the gown of Salafi, but they bring all these false, futile principles. Yes, Sheikh Rabi has done a tremendous service to the Ummah in exposing these people. And, you know, he speaks with evidence, and we take his advice, and, and uh, you know. But, but it's not the case that we don't take from people just because Sheikh Rabi, no. It's, it's, it's because the situation is that we do not take knowledge from anyone until and unless we know him to be a person of the sunnah who combines all of the traits of the sunnah right and and you know is known for it that's who we take knowledge from so you know we've just been careful in our religion so why are you blaming us uh, for that and you know so uh, but but the reason why see they they, they pick on certain names because the, these names uh, Sheikh Rabi, for example, Sheikh Muhammad Aman Al-Jami, rahimahullah, they played a tremendous role in exposing some of these deviants like the Sururiya, Qutbiya. And so now out of resentment and hatred, they, they come out with these types of statements. Oh, you, you know, no one's a, a scholar until Sheikh Rabi says so to you people, whatever. It's not, not even an argument, you know, it's not even... Off the back of that, um, personally, the second No, well, that's, that's not true because there are many, many narrations uh, from the Salaf uh, who say, for example, uh, test the people of Iraq with so-and-so and test the people of, of, you know, and they mention various like locations and regions and, and they mention whoever is the, the known, well-known, established person of the Sunnah in that land, test the people of the land by that person, right? There are actual narrations from the Salaf of making imtihan of people by way of the well-known people of the Sunnah, right? Yet, what they are confusing there in bringing that argument is they are confusing issues of piety and righteousness and levels of piety and righteousness. They're confusing that with the issue of clarity in the Sunnah and sticking to the Sunnah. Right? What Shaykh Rabi is upon in terms of clarity to the Sunnah is exactly the same as what Imam Ahmad is upon. It's identical, it's exactly the same. But is Shaykh Rabi or Shaykh Mbaz or Shaykh, you know, whoever it might be, as pious and righteous as, uh, as, as Imam Ahmad? Well, we don't say that. So what they're trying to do is confuse the two together and make it look as if, you know, you can't apply that. No, it's not true. It's not true. You can, you know, uh, this, this applies all across the world. Right, you know, in, in the UK, for example, or the US, for example, or in any, any place where you know there are people of the Sunnah, and there are people of the Sunnah, there are masajid of the people of the Sunnah, there are callers, you know, right, and you, you know what people are upon by where they stand with respect to these, these masajid or marakis or, you know, the, 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 the well known, you know, uh, callers who are, who are known to be upon, you know, istiqamah and calling to the Sunnah and the way of Salah. You know, you know where, where a person stands if he, if he speaks ill of them, if he, if he, you know. So this is a, is a this, this principle here is in fact from the prophetic guidance itself, right? Because a person, المرؤ على دين خليله, a person is upon the deen of his friend. 
right? And the Salaf took this from the guidance of the Messenger of Allah and then they applied this principle to, to this issue of the issue of Sunnah and Bid'ah. Right? And that's why you see all those narrations from the Salaf where they mention, you know, test the people of so-and-so with so-and-so and, you know, when a man comes to, to your city, look, look at, you know, whose house he goes to and who's this. All these narrations are there basically judging people by their companionship. Right? This, this is a principle of the, of, of, of the Sunnah, that you judge a person by his companionship. And, um, uh, you know, there are narrations from the Salaf. Uh, so-and-so person comes, you know, who does he mix with? Well, we see him hanging around with the people who, who speak with Al-Qadr. Well, he's a Qadari then. Now, why is he going to the Qadari and sitting with them and, you know, being hosted by them? Why, why he... So, this is what we are applying. It's from the prophetic, uh, it's from the prophetic uh, guidance. And so, yes, we can judge a man by his companionship, by his behavior, by his loyalty, by his allegiance, because this tells us something about this, you know, about this, about this man. Look, if you, if you wanted to marry your daughter to someone, and you see this man is always hanging around with drunkards and thieves and, you know, uh, whatever it might be, you know, I don't think someone can say to you, oh, you're being unjust by, by judging him by, you know, by his companionship, that's wrong. You know, and of, course, of course you can. Of course you can. Right? And so you can do the same in the affairs of religion, right? in the affairs of creed, in the affairs of, of course you can. If you, see a man, if you see a man flattering and sitting with and drinking tea with, with a rafida and with the khawarij and whatever, then look, either he's a jahil, ignorant, knows nothing about the religion, or he's basically one of them, right? So, uh, so, so to judge people by, you know, certain well-known prominent scholars, you know, anyone who attacks Sheikh Albani, straight away you know we know that you are a person of misguidance, straight away, right? So we know that the Sufis will attack Sheikh Albani, the Khawarij will attack, attack Sheikh Albani, the Muqallid Madhabis will attack Sheikh Albani. So many different people will attack Sheikh Albani. Ikhwanis will attack Sheikh Albani. Straight where we know you're a person of misguided. Straight off. Right? And, and so, you see, you see, we see the wisdom in this. The wisdom in this, in fact, this is mercy in the prophetic guidance for his ummah. Because, because not everybody, not every person from the people of the Sunnah has the same level of knowledge has the same level of understanding, has the same knowledge, uh, level of intelligence and scrutiny, right? And it's as if the sunnah and the prophetic guidance has given for all people a shortcut by which to know misguidance from guidance, right? So it's enough for an person simply to know if anyone speaks ill of Shaykh al-Albani, know that he is a person of misguidance and deviation. Khalas, right? So now if there's an armed person, this, this person doesn't know anything about, you know, the Ash'ari creed and the details of the Ash'ari creed and ta'wil and this evidence. And, you know, uh, did Imam Malik really make ta'wil? You know, and, and this narration they're bringing and they're bringing the isnad and this whatever. How is the army person supposed to figure all that out? But if he knows that these people are basically attacking Sheikh Albani of being a mujassim and this and whatever, and attacking whatever, that's enough for him to know these people are misguided. Khalas. Right? He's saved from 
from so many things by way of this principle. You understand? This principle is a principle in which there is mercy for, for most of this ummah. Because most of the people are not in a position in terms of knowledge and understanding to decipher what, what these people are saying. But if you know that he's speaking ill of him, reviling him, mocking him, belittling him, belittling him straight away you know, I don't need to know anything else, right? Don't know any of the arguments or whatever, but what I do know, you are a misguided, deviant, innovator, I, I'm, you know, keeping away from you, right? It's like a shortcut and a, and a, a principle that, that has tremendous benefit for the vast majority of the ummah to, to actually uh, act upon this, right? And that's why the Salaf used to say, that, you know, test the people of so-and-so with, with Mu'afa bin Imran and test the people of so-and-so with so-and-so and whatever. Simple. Anyone who's opposed to him, you know he's not a person of the sunnah. Anyone who's with him, you know he's a person of the sunnah. Use that as a yardstick to basically, you know, decide who you're going to take knowledge from and who you're going to mix with. Alhamdulillah. Right? The, these are solid, sound principles. And now you can understand why the people of Bid'ah, they come along and they want to undermine these principles. Because these are, these are like protective principles that protect our religion. And so they want to dismantle and, and you know, take... It's, it's like, like a fortress, like you have a fortress and you have, you have the uh, watchtowers, right? What's the first thing that you do? You, know, you want to get rid of the guards on the watchtowers and then you, you know, try to compromise the walls. That's the same thing that people are trying to do. These principles, which, which have their roots in the prophetic guidance, right? You know, warning against Ahlul Bid'ah. We can trace all of these back to the prophetic guidance. The company, you know, the, the, the blacksmith and the perfume seller and many other hadiths like that. All of these have a basis in the sunnah. They want to destroy these underlying principles and foundations. Right? Because they know that this is where the strength of the people of the sunnah lies. You can't compromise the people of the Sunnah because the, these are the weapons that the, the Sharia and the Sunnah has given to us. Right? And by way of this, this religion has not and will not go the way of the Jews or the Christians because they have a distorted, uh, altered religion. No one among them knows you know, who's upon the truth, who's not, but because it's, it's, it's distorted, altered. This will not happen to, 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 the, to, to this religion. Why will that not happen? It's because of the Salafi methodology and because of these principles in our religion that we hold on to, that we have today what the companions were upon. Right? So these people of Bid'ah, they know that these are the foundations that we have to demolish and to corrupt these principles in order for us to be, first of all, shielded from the people of the Sunnah and then we can more easily you know, spread our misguidance, right? That's, that's exactly what they're doing, right? So there are those who know what they are doing by inventing these principles. Then there's the average, you know, person who's just regurgitating and repeating and not really knowing and, you know, uh, which comes to people like us, you know, they'll come to us and regurgitate these kind of uh, doubts and uh, things like that. So, yeah.
Yeah, I'm aware of this. I know this. Uh, first of all, it's not accurately translated. You have to go back to the to the passage. And what Ibn Taymiyyah is alluding to here is he's, what he's refuting in that passage. He's speaking about, for example, let's say the Sufis, right? They will erect a person who is a leader of the tariqah. Yes? He will make that individual and his statements and his speech to be the basis of all of their loyalty and disloyalty. Right? Everything revolves around that one man. Right? But this is, this is not what the people, we, we don't do this. You know, we, our criterion is the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the way of the Salaf. And any scholar who is upon that and speaks with that, then, you know, we, we take from him, we accept from him. But we don't, we don't make allegiance to him because of his person. We do so on the basis that he is upon the truth and speaking with the truth. Whereas what Ibn Taymiyyah is speaking about in that passage and what the general type of thing he's speaking to, uh, that he's speaking about, is where you, you know, you, you erect a figure like a, a leader of a tariqah or the, uh, some sort of group or something and you make all the religion to turn back to him and all your loyalty and disloyalty is on the basis of, of that individual. Like we can't do that even with the, with the companions, right? You know, you can't have allegiance to Ali radiallahu anhu right so it's just that anyone who agrees with you is with you and anyone who doesn't no. or Muawiyah for example no you can't do that you can't choose an individual and make all the loyalty and allegiance around that one individual we don't do that right and, and that's the general um, thing that Ibn Taymiyyah is basically speaking of this has got nothing to do with uh, testing people with the people of the truth because here what we're testing with is the truth which that person happens to be a carrier of not that we're making that person to be the basis uh, there's a difference there you see right so um, th there's many statements that they bring from Ibn Taymiyyah that's one of them there's, there's many others but as you know with Ibn Taymiyyah you've got to go back read five pages before five pages afterwards and you realize that he's speaking about something totally different to what they're basically trying to make out that he's speaking about you know